0: Welcome back Rebels to another episode of Creative Thinking. We're going to be answering some more listener questions and this is a good one to start with.
1: Is it best to have a set discount for pals? Also, do friends of friends count as just people paying for your services? I just find myself saying I'll set a price per hour and then I barter with myself for ages after saying to myself, well, they are good friends with someone I know and then I I struggle. So it's 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 a really... good question
0: and that comes from hand design um yeah it's a difficult question as well because when you first start the majority of your customers are going to be friends of family people that you know and and then that awkward territory when you don't really know them but they're just kind of acquaintances
1: i think it's really difficult because Lots of our friends and friends of friends are also creatives or artists or, or in that kind of circle. And I think most people in that circle understand the value of somebody else's work. So I would never ask for a discount on a, you know work that's done by a friend. Often they will give a discount and that's really nice. And often then you will give a discount in return. So I think it has to be a fair value exchange and, and your friends and your loved ones will appreciate that and know the value of your work and your time and hopefully want to support you and want to pay for your time. Now, I do definitely think there's a merit to having a set discount and a set policy though for who you will and won't discount for and how much that will be so that you don't have to get into that kind of awkward conversation. It's had already, that conversation's been had in a general decision so no one has to ask you the question
0: yeah because you've set those parameters beforehand so everyone's clear and we're all on the same page yeah. i think yeah i think that's the best way to do it. it it has to be concrete rules because because what would be weird is if someone said oh but i got it for this price and then you had to pay this price mm-hmm. then things get a little bit like confusing and maybe like resentful whereas if everyone pays the same amount then that's fairer
1: yeah and i think if you, you just don't have to have that conversation with your friends and because mixing mixing friendship and money is always a little bit awkward and if people think well I'm, I'm their friend you know they should be giving me a discount and often you will want to give your friends discount but if it's already a, a thing that you say um you know that your friends know that this is your set price but for friends you will give this amount of discount and that's it um and then it, it's a case of who who do you count as friends what about friends of friends
0: I guess it all comes down to the individual. I mean, I think that it should just be blanket and it's up to you if you want to offer discounts. But I mean, you don't really need to because your your price that you've decided covers all of your costs. I, I think it's very important that profit is part of your pricing. Because you need profit in order to sustain yourself, in order to carry on doing the things that you're doing. So I believe that that should be built into the price. So then as soon as you start offering a discount, it's like it's it's eating into your profit, which is affecting you.
1: People don't understand that, though. And people, people you know, this is a problem we have. We've had it for the past 10 years of business that people kind of think that art is free. So that people outside of the creative industry don't necessarily understand the cost that goes into making art and the cost that has gone into developing your skills over years and years and years so that you can then make that art
0: yeah it's rare that another creative is going to ask you for a discount
1: yeah yeah, and, and if they do it's often as an exchange so I guess that's one thing I would suggest is with the person who expects a discount or has maybe asked for a discount or maybe hasn't asked for a discount is there a, you know is there a value exchange that you can ask for in another way um is there a way that giving that person discount could actually benefit you is that somebody who works for a brand who you might want to work with is that somebody who knows somebody who works at the brand you know you can gain value by offering discounts as well and you know, w- without devaluing your work, I think that's where you have to strike the balance. If you know the value of your own work and you're not willing to go past a certain point, otherwise, you a) you don't make a prof- profit, or you b) completely discredit and devalue your work. Um, then there is there's a middle ground, a bartering ground where you can, um, you know, th- there's a leeway.
0: Yeah, yeah. I suppose it's it's what's in it for you as as the creator and and sometimes what's in it for you is not falling out with people <laughs> um it's really hard because i'm i'm my kind of instinct is there's no there's there's no discount but even saying that i do give friends and family discount on paintings I that i ask, produce for people
1: can you think of examples of when you have or haven't offered a discount
0: i suppose that by offering a discount is a token gesture of because that person then feels special because they feel like I'm not like every regular Tom Dick and Harry I'm a special customer because I've point. because I've been given I've been given this and that can just be a token because mm. we've found over the years in graffiti life jobs that a lot of people will ask for a discount and uh, it's not something we've ever done in business which is probably not smart um, because we've noticed that all, like so many clients that we've had will ask for a discount and it just seems to be like an industry thing if you're if you're doing a job you you just ask for a discount um because if you don't ask you definitely don't get it and sometimes you do mm. and when we're in that situation we do just offer like if it's a ten pound job we'll we'll give you 400 quid off and that's a
1: only where we can assign a reason to that so that's one of our one of our tools is if someone asks for a discount we don't just go oh okay go on then which then makes your whole pricing system look weak. it discredits the whole thing. What we The only way we would give a discount in if someone, say, they're paying £10,000 and we give them £400 off, we would always come back with a reason as to why we were able to give that discount. Yeah. We'll say we wouldn't normally, but because of this, this and this, because postage is, isn't actually going to be, or travel isn't going to be as expensive as it usually would be, we can actually give you a discount on this, but usually we wouldn't. So then they feel like they've won, but you haven't discredited your own pricing system. Yeah,
0: yeah. And also, I mean, when I'm giving... A- discount to friends then then they know that that's that means my t- it's basically my time that's been discounted because I can't get the mater- materials for any cheaper so that just means you're not paying me as much per hour as normal people do but I'm willing to take that sacrifice because I like you a lot
1: yeah and I think at the end of the day it comes down to how it makes you feel if giving somebody a discount makes you feel a bit sour inside then you probably shouldn't do it if it is a friend of a friend and you feel like uh, that person could become a fan or part of your your group or your network, your tribe, that could help you, could spread the word in some way, could just be, by being part of your tribe, and like you said earlier, by giving them a discount, they feel special, and now they're in your tribe, that can be worth it. If you don't have that feeling that it's gonna be worth it, i just say no.
0: I don't know that it happens that way as well. Like, can you remember specific examples of people that have given you a discount and that's made you more warm towards them as a, as a person or a brand? Yeah, I think I can, yeah. Because I, yeah. I can't at all. Like, if I get a discount on something, then I go, oh, bonus, I, I saved some money there. Because you don't want them to associate you with savings.
1: No, what you associate it with is, is friendship. And we've always said um that our customers our best customers are the customers that have become our friends over the years that's true so i've been in craft fairs or um uh in um you know craft markets christmas markets that kind of thing where i've been and talked to somebody on a stall who've made their own jewelry or that kind of thing and i've been chatting to them for a while and at the end of the conversation they've gone i'm gonna give you a bit of a discount and Mm. by that point I feel like they're my friend and I'm buying from a friend and I'm more likely to carry on following that person and to feel like um, I'm part of their tribe.
0: Basically, give a discount if um, you feel like it is mutually beneficial. It has um, to feel good in yeah. your soul. Yeah, if it, if it feels like you're getting scammed or ripped off, then do not do it. This is a question from at pattern.wiz on Instagram. Uh, I've set up an online community teaching pattern cutting with a course starting tomorrow. And I've started with no online following, as everyone starts with no online following. Um, My biggest challenge is getting my platform out there and getting people joining. I've contacted friends, universities, not successful. Graduate Fashion Week may be helpful. Um, But I wondered if you guys have any other good suggestions to promote a spread word that is a great question. I think don't get frustrated because everyone starts from zero. That's the starting point from for every single creative. And you just have to grab each person as you go along. I think when something is very new, if you go straight in with your with your sales pitch, then that can sometimes not work because you, you need to build up a, a brand loyalty first. And the way the easiest way to do that is just by providing copious amounts of value with no ask in return so um, I would so you from the sounds of it you've already launched the online course that's great I would launch it but if only five people have signed up make sure that they just have a fantastic time on the course that it's a great success that you document everything so that you have a case study going forward um, but I would, I would, would, I would then start building for the next like six months to a year before the next course comes out so that there's so much loyalty that as soon as you drop it, you're going to have a lot of people signing up for it.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I think that one thing we do say quite a lot is just start, which is brilliant advice. Um, So it's a great thing that, you know, you have just started this course, Um, but I do agree. And I think something that, um, you should probably read oversubscribed. I'd recommend that definitely. And one thing that you'll read in that is um, about signaling um, and about signaling to um, your fans and your audience before you do something like this so um, putting out um, questions like i'm thinking of doing this how many people are interested would you sign up for this Um, there's going to be only a limited number of spaces say there's room for eight or twelve people on your on your online pattern cutting course which I'm really interested in by the way uh, you build up your audience you ask the question I'm thinking of starting this in three months time or two months time or one month time um who would be interested and then firstly you've got a really good indication of how many people are interested and would attend but it's a really good signal to everyone else in your community as well who now know that oh well there's only 12 spaces available on this on this course and 15 people just said that they're really interested so the next time you put something out then and say okay well early bird tickets available or early bird sign up available on this date people are more likely then to sign up on that date either they get a small discount or they get a bonus manual or book or something if they sign up for the early bird pass but they also know that there's competition other people interested so there is a build-up process that has to happen i think before you just go flat into launching a course like this Um, and obviously you are you are trying to do this already you are contacting people uh, and I think you are doing the right things um, but just concentrate on building your community beforehand on Instagram on whatever social media platform that you're you're, it's obviously quite a visual thing so I'd imagine that you're on Instagram possibly on YouTube possibly TikTok even that kind of thing but build up your audience and and continue to deliver value to them before asking them to come and give you something in return or to pay for something.
0: Yeah, and a, a perfect case study, especially for this specific person, is is Tilly and the buttons. If you listen to our episode with her, who obviously she does patterns and, and sewing and all of that sort of stuff. What Tilly did was she started a blog and her blog just gave people continuous information that they found really interesting and educational. Mm-hmm. And she gave that for for ages before there was a, a final ask of our audience, before there was a product, before there was something that, that she was selling.
1: And I completely agree with that. I'd say, make no mistake, most of what you will be teaching is available on YouTube. Um, I, I do a lot of this kind of thing and there's not much that I can't find how to do on, on Pinterest or on YouTube. Um, so you have to be delivering something more than just the information. And the, the teaching um, and that will only come through people's kind of brand loyalty to you and you as a brand for example you know that there are examples of times where I've gotten and you know I've spent money on on a Skillshare or, or a um, creative live class or that kind of thing because they offer something that's more in-depth and more um, more than you would get from a YouTube video but that's rare let's face it that's rare and and when I do that I do it with the people with the tutors with the teachers who I respect for some reason I've been following them I'm a fan of their work I'm a fan of their personality um, and, and that is where you will win that is that's how you will get people to pay for a course that they could potentially with a bit more research probably and a bit more kind of digging around they would be able to find on the internet somewhere anyway.
0: And that's brand building isn't it because yeah. you I've watched you watching gardening tutorials and you want the information but the person is really annoying you so you're skipping forward until you can find oh this is the bit of knowledge that I wanted and then you you take that and then you you, it's not like you're then going to look that person up again however when you find someone who you do resonate with them then you're going to watch their content regardless of if it's something you want to know or not you might not be growing roses but you'll watch their video on what they do with roses because it's them as a person that you're That you're interacting with that you that you respond to their content that you want to see more of so it's it's differentiating between people just taking and then people wanting to be a part of the journey and part of your process and your your personality and everything that sums up you as a brand so what's your what's your usp why should people listen to you
1: completely absolutely if you want to find that audience find them where they already are so the people that you want to be your audience want to be part of your tribe while you're doing this kind of community building, this um, tribe building. Where are they already? Go to them. Don't expect them just to come to you because you've got this thing. And you know, like I said, you you are doing this already. You're going to universities. You're going to um, through friends of friends. Um, but where else? Where else are these people? Where else are they showing up? What else do they like apart from pattern cutting and that kind of thing? Um, find your audience, go to them, offer value where they are and then they'll start coming to you.
0: And also don't stop at the first no because you mentioned in there like, oh, I've tried universities and it was unsuccessful. But so then there's a lot of universities in this country. Try all of them. That'll take you a couple of years to get through emailing every single university in the country. Um, If they've said no, maybe ask for feedback. Like why... Do you think this is not of interest for, for you? Maybe then there's some, some information in there where you can repackage and you can try again.
1: Or you can realise that, you know, oh, actually, no, universities maybe aren't a good idea then because I'm directly in competition with something that they're already offering. But yeah, absolutely ask for feedback because that will inform where you go next.
0: Because what most people do, will do is they'll get that first no from the university and that will stop them then contacting any more universities and it will stop them contacting... Sometimes it will stop them contacting anyone else because they've they've had one no and they let that shut them down. So um, keep going on that path. You are gonna get nos. I think that's that's the thing is to expect expect many many more nos than yeses. But you like you only need a few yeses to start to build up your social proof to start to use those as case studies when you present to the next people to say these people said yes and then then that makes them feel safe that they should say yes to you too
1: absolutely
0: this question comes from an email that was sent to connect at creative rebels.co. this question is from someone who's quit their job as a project manager to focus on building a design portfolio they went off to austria to basically build up their portfolio to take an internship at a company in austria now they're going to be moving back to london and the thought of getting paid 18 to 24k a year living in london seems impossible uh, I was wondering if you guys had any advice on tips on living on this tiny wage coming back to London life?
1: Yeah, it's a really difficult one, this one. I think reading it, we really kind of really empathised. Because um, it's where we came from. We've yeah. been there. And and one of the biggest um, things about this one was uh, this person quit their job, spent two years in London trying to build up a portfolio, wasn't able to move home to live with parents. Um, so know, Really struggled um, and moved to Austria where the cost of living was um was cheaper, but also because of imposter syndrome, they mentioned when um, when in London trying to build up this creative portfolio. Um, and then the drop from being a project manager to being an intern in Austria was quite demoralising, and at times this person's been treated quite badly there. Now moving back to London, obviously in the current climate, having had quite a difficult experience, even though the lifestyle in Austria was great, is now really difficult. And I think that one of the main things we've got to deal with here is that imposter syndrome, especially having been through quite a bad... Um, experience in austria having gone from a you know quite a high-powered job with a team of people that you manage to being an intern and being treated like an intern and being treated quite badly at points
0: this is a great question because i think there's a lot of people that are going to relate to this so london is expensive it's a very expensive city to live in so you could move that's a that's the first thing like you already moved to austria um you could move to somewhere where living expenses are are less like it's annoying but it is possible um also, you can look at your expenses, and you can cut everything down to the bare minimum. Um, do you need a Netflix subscription? Do you, like, like what what is it that you need? Like, and that comes from writing everything down and realizing what your ingo- incomings and outgoings are, and what you can what you can get rid of. Um, but that being said, I mean, we lived for I mean three to five years of going out with friends and not being able to buy around. Um, not being able to buy new sneakers like just all of the, the normal kind of luxuries that we take for granted we were unable to do those things and especially when you see friends and relatives that aren't struggling for money that are able to do those things because they say that money doesn't buy happiness but it sure does make things fucking easy but i think that's such an important message is like you've got to remember why you're doing it because you see the light at the end of the tunnel you see that it's not going to be 18 to 24k for the rest of your life you see that you are building something and eventually you're going to get paid well to do that thing
1: yeah and i think that you say money doesn't buy happiness um but it makes things easier But I tell you what does buy happiness is spending your life doing something that you're happy doing. You know, I took a a 10 grand pay cut when when we started Graffiti Life and I barely had enough to cover my rent. So there was no going out for drinks with friends. There was no doing anything. There was no buying new clothes. I had the same clothes for about five years. Um, It was tough. But what I would say is I think that you've done so many of the hard things already. You already did do that. You know, you made the sacrifice of quitting your job. Um, and you made that decision for a reason. You then spent two years building a a portfolio and for some reason, imposter syndrome, and probably having struggled for two years already on quite a low income, um, made you want to make a change. um, And another really brave decision to take a step down and be an intern. And however hard that experience was, it was a really brave choice and it was a really hard decision that you made. And I'm sure that however difficult it was, you will have benefited from that situation in some ways and gained experience and knowledge. And like you said, you had a good kind of out of out of work lifestyle there as well. So now it must seem hard um, to continue that kind of sacrifice. But you can't give up now because of all of those things that you already have done, all of those hardships that you have endured already. You can't waste those. You have to stick by um, the decision you made, which was to ultimately improve your life by going down the career path that will make you happy let 's talk a bit about imposter syndrome
0: I think when it comes to imposter syndrome that 's something that that most people do go through, and really there's no such thing as adults. everyone is blagging it and when we talk to absolute professionals that are completely killing it on the podcast and then after the show they, they go, Oh, was that all right? And they they question themselves and, and you just realise that every single human is is fragile and does worry about that sort of stuff. But you can't let yourself hold yourself back by thinking that you don't belong. So you just you've just got to do the work. You've just got to go for it. Um I think as well that there is someone out there who is doing this exactly the same job that you do but is getting paid 10 times the amount that you're getting paid. And that comes down to confidence. It comes down to finding the right clients who are able to pay that premium for your service. So rather than a, than signing yourself, you're going to be getting 18 to, to 24K. That kind of takes all the power away from you of like, you're gonna start applying for jobs that are only going to be within that range. So don't apply for those jobs. Apply for jobs that you maybe don't think that you're ready for yet but you'll learn on the job. Just just know that if you can get in the room with them, you can talk them into the position, you'll learn on the job and you'll become very good at it. Or just be with your freelance prices, just hike them up to a level that's going to sustain you that you're going to be able to, to charge more for. Because when it comes to pricing, when we first started and we had nothing and we were in this very similar boat, initially we thought you have to grab every small bit of money that comes along and then we sort of started to realize that actually you're better off spent rather than doing 10 jobs in one month you're better off spending time on getting three jobs that pay more than those 10 jobs combined Mm -hmm. so it's it's looking at who your ideal clients are and pick clients that are going to be able to afford your services unless of course you're someone who wants to provide a very cheap service for people so that they can afford it But in that case, then you need support from elsewhere, be that brands or or grants or whatever it is, in order to provide for a sector that's not economically very big. And
1: find that person that's doing the job that you want to be doing, that's earning ten times as much. Look at what they've done. There's a really good book. Um, I forget who it's by, but it's um, called Steal Like an Artist, um, and that talks a lot about finding people who are, you know, have done what you want to do before, looking at how they got there, and um, making it your own. In you know, doing it in your own way. Most things have been done before, and we can learn standing on the shoulders of giants. You know, we can learn still, but respectfully, and then adapt adapt things to our own way of doing things so you're not the first um you're not the first to be struggling you won't be the last um there will be sacrifices but there always are when it comes to doing what you want to be doing Um, so forget the imposter syndrome learn to identify that little voice in your head as what it is um something that everyone gets um identify it listen to it Tell it to go away. Just as soon as you identify that voice, instead of just hearing it all the time and thinking I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, you go, oh, hold on, there he is, that's imposter syndrome, not going to listen to that. Um, find an accountability partner, um, somebody who's going to make you stick to your your um, set goals of achievement.
0: That voice, a lot of people name that voice and they find it easier if they've named it to, yeah. to kick it out. Okay. So for Claire Pooley, who was um, struggling with alcohol addiction, she named it the wine witch. And as soon as she heard that voice in her head saying, "You need a drink," then she would she would say, "Oh, that's the wine witch," and that gives. So, if you have someone that's saying you're not good enough, you're 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 not qualified enough for that job, uh, you should be charging less for your work, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, then give that thing a name. Uh, sometimes like a comical name um, Lucy Sheridan that we had on the other day calls her um, voice Angelica from the Rugrats because that's a really annoying little character that she can that she can kick out of her mind so brilliant like triv- trivializing that imposter syndrome by giving it a name yeah
1: and then just don't give up it's going to be tough it's going to be tough for so many people over the next six months a couple of years but now it's not the time to give up Everyone's going to be making sacrifices, so you may as well stick at doing something that's going to make you happy in the long run.
0: And when it comes to design, it's it's obviously like a very crowded marketplace, which is why there's people willing to do those jobs for so cheap, which is why it's pushing the price of your career down. So I would say if you do the same as everyone else, then you get the same results as everyone else. So what can you do that's that's different who are the people in design who have got their own podcast, who are, are doing amazing things on Instagram who are the, whose work is just is just elite? Like what, what can you do to better your brand, you as a person? What can you do to better that that it's going to attract more customers that you're going to get to a stage where you're oversubscribed to again, quote Daniel Priestley, um, to, to where you are able to charge what your work is worth?
1: It's, it's tough. Um, what you've been through and um, it's going to be hard but it's going to be hard for a lot of people so try and find some people who are in the same boat as you get a community going um, have some accountability partners and get rid of that imposter syndrome